In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Hey everybody, welcome to The Counter. It's a divisional round. Is this still the best weekend in football, guys? What do you think? I mean, we were, we were a little psyched about the the six games and all that, but I, I'm thinking now <laughs> that that this is still the week. Yeah, after watching the six games, yes, it's this week. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> like the, wildcard weekend was so much better on paper than it like actually ended up being. I was just it, I was tired of football by by probably Saturday night. Yep. It was a lot of football. Trying to watch the national title game on Monday was like, uh, oh no, I didn't there's watch so it. much there's so much football. It's too many snaps. Um yeah, it should be really exciting. We are going to break down uh, our biggest matchups in those games uh, eventually. Uh, we'll get to that. Uh, Rams, Packers, Ravens, Bills at the Saturday games, Browns, Chiefs, Bucks, Saints. Sunday, uh, you know, if you've been with the show for a little bit, you know that this is how we did it last week. We'll look at sort of the primary matchups or schematic things happening that we think will dictate the game. And uh, Charles and Steven, I know, have been digging in on a lot of different things and try to figure out. Uh, go a little bit deeper than than the surface of, you know, we know who these teams are at this point, but uh, how things have changed a little bit. I really liked uh, Stevens, what, what he's noticed about what the Packers are doing, how the, how the offense has evolved. Uh, it's pretty fascinating. And uh, Charles will get in on some some trench, some some play in the trenches, which I know he loves to talk about. So I'm excited to have those conversations uh, but we want to kind of hit on some news uh, first thing because there's a storyline that's probably, I mean, not getting that much attention in the NFL uh, today, and it and it probably should. Uh, and I, actually, I should note it, note that USA Today did a, a nice bit of reporting today. Um, our sort of sister publication looked into the last few decades of hiring in the NFL and. Uh, just the complete lack of uh, black and brown coaches who've been hired uh, and, and coaches and general managers uh, and found that there are several organizations. I think the number is seven. Um, I'm forgetting exactly off the top of my head, but that had not hired any in those key positions. And obviously, this is a league that is made up primarily of black players. Uh, so this, this is a big issue and, and there's been some movement today uh, in the, in the last 24 hours. Uh, the lions have officially hired a Los Angeles Rams scouting director, Brad Holmes as their GM. Um, and you know, that's, he's a, a black man moving into that role. Uh, people have been complimentary of him and the work he's done. Uh, this has been, 
you know, in the works for a little bit, but it's, it's nice to see it actually happening. And Charles, I, I know as a Falcons fan, you, you are probably maybe excited about this other move. How do you, how do you feel about uh, what, what the Falcons did reaching, reaching to a rival to, to find their guy? I love it. Uh, mainly because the Falcons are going to face some serious cap issues at the uh, start of this off season. And the saints have been kind of dealing with that for what feels like almost a decade now, just kind of moving money around to try to build the best team possible. Uh, so I think it's a good fit in that direction. And then, yeah, I just like the aspect of uh, being able to, to pop someone from a divisional rival, especially someone that, especially like with a rivalry that's as hot as the the Falcons and the Saints and how heated that can get. Uh, it's uh, it's pretty cool. And also cool just to see two black dudes uh, seem to secure GM spots, uh, which now brings the total to, what, four uh, with Chris Greer. Andrew and, Barry. and Andrew Barry. Uh, so that's that's good to see. We have uh, doubled the amount of black general managers in the league from two to four. Uh, and hopefully something that can keep on going, because I think like we saw uh, last year with the job that Barry and Greer have done over the past year that, you know, if you're qualified, you can do this job and uh, maybe you can win 10 games if you think outside the box a little bit when it comes to your hiring. So this is a, a good step forward, I hope. It's crazy that expanding the the pool of candidates leads to better hires. What a novel concept. Yeah, wow. <laughs> That's great. NFL. They found a market inefficiency in 2021. <laughs> Talking to more people. Wow. <laughs> Give it a try. Uh yeah, we I, I I don't think the Terry Fontenot that hire is not official yet. I think not uh, yet. Not yet. yet. But uh I I don't think it can be official. Or actually, I don't know because I guess that uh the Rams are still in the playoffs. Maybe since since Holmes is just a director of scouting instead of uh, the actual like assistant general manager like Fontenot is. Maybe that can't be finalized until after right. the Saints lose. But uh, we'll see about that. But you know, Rappaport, uh, basically all the big guys said that right. uh, it's about to be Fontenot in Atlanta, and then I guess they'll figure out the head coaching spot from there. I think it's pretty cool also because like we've seen black coaches get hired in the past. Like it's kind of ebbed and flowed. Like there's been times when there were, were more, but we've never really seen black GMs get a real chance. And I mean, I'm just basing this off of nothing official, but I'm assuming that four black GMs at once is close to a record right now. Yeah, it's got to be. It's got to be. Yeah. Uh, the. Uh, the Saints and the Rams will get some draft picks out of this uh, because of the NFL's new uh, the push. You know, they were they were trying to get more uh, minority candidates interviewed and hired and sort of incentivizing the movement of those candidates by current teams. You know, basically saying if you can develop great candidates who get hired away, we're going to reward you. Uh, how much I mean, both these guys have been around uh, for a while and are well respected and might have gotten there anyway. But I mean, did this serve as the little push that maybe teams needed? You know, like was this in any way something that like the 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 Rams and Saints were like, hey, we let's let's really show these guys show that that these guys are worth these jobs and put them out there because uh, it's going to be good for us even when we do lose them. Yeah, that I'm not sure about. I think we'll have an answer to that over the next couple of weeks as some of these head coaching spots start to get filled out. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
because you know obviously like 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 we just talked about two black dudes getting a, a general manager spot uh or, or you know in line to get general manager spots is uh a rare occurrence and i don't think that the two things are totally unrelated but like at the same time you don't just want to say uh, and, and not that not that we're doing this here but uh you don't just want to say oh you know they did that for third round picks right. because a third round pick is also like not a high enough reward to like hand over the keys to someone you might not trust. Right. Uh, right. So I, I think it's, it's like mostly due on merit, but if you have an opportunity where you're like, you know, we see Brad Holmes and GM be like equally, then yeah, let's take the guy who can bring us some draft picks and uh, use those picks to help like further mold his vision of what this team can be. The funny thing, and I, I guess it's not funny, it's sad, is that that rule was voted in by the owners. So the owners are like, yeah, as a group, we're pretty racist, so we're going to have to add some incentives or else we're not going to hire black people. Yep. <laughs> it's just like a self, it's just like an, a public admission that we're racist as a group. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Stephen, you and I had like long talks about this over the summer when it first came out uh, because it was like, you, I, I don't think any candidate who gets hired wants to get hired with that trailing them like, oh, well, you got hired, but it's it's just because, you know, like part of it is that there's this other thing attached to it. Um, but at the same time, like this, we're sitting here talking about how stagnant the hiring of black coaches and general managers has been like you need like something needs to happen to change the equation. Uh, so. I, I guess we'll see sort of how this plays out. Let's talk a little bit about the, the coaching situation. There is not a ton of news. It's, it's a little bit quiet other than the Urban Meyer to Jacksonville thing seems close to being solidified. Uh, that's been talked about since before Doug Marone was even fired, uh, quite frankly. And and now it seems, again, the big guys, uh, Rappaport and Pelissero and Adam Schefter are all reporting that 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 deal should come to fruition. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that we have much more to say about it. We've talked about it uh, a, f- a fair bit. We we said our piece. We, we basically think Urban Meyer is a, a really good coach. Uh, there's a lot of things about him that say he might do well at the NFL. He's a good CEO type of coach. I think he empowers, he finds and empowers smart assistants who are understanding of how the game is changing and he's not rigid in what he wants to do. Uh, so that's uh, all really, you know, that bodes well for him being able to make the jump. Uh, what does not bode well is that he uh, is just not a person who always uh, has a good relationship with the truth and uh, relates maybe how he relates to his players. He's left messes everywhere he's been. Uh, Henry McKenna wrote a little piece about that today. Uh, I mean, we keep writing about Urban Meyer every day. Every few weeks or whatever, when you know, whenever he's in the news, pointing out that uh, he's he's left these he's left Florida and Ohio State with such difficult situations. Um, but I I think the the thing about Meyer right now is that he is able, you know, he has become this coveted coach despite what happened a few years ago. And and meanwhile, it, it feels like maybe we are entering the territory where Eric Bieniemy is once again getting 
downplayed in like, uh, you know, I don't know where it, it's, it's sort of happening in the ether and it's a lot of anonymous quotes, a lot of, uh, but it seems like it's being set up to try to beat down his candidacy again, which is what happened. I, I mean, if Eric Bianami uh, were any uh, like offensive coordinators who lead a team like the, the chiefs offense last year would most of them would get hired, right? Like we, we all agree on that. And the fact that he didn't even seem to be a serious candidate last year. And now we're hearing this weird stuff coming out this year. Uh, the one that we were talking about prior to the show is just a, an absolutely absurd tweet about uh uh, Matt Miller been texting with an NFL source this morning who thinks there's a very strong chance Eric Bieniemy isn't hired for a head coaching opportunity this cycle. Cites concern about Reed's coaching tree and timing with Chiefs expected to make another Super Bowl run. Uh, like these, these are like this is crazy. I'm going to let you guys talk because uh, I might just rant for like seven minutes. Uh, but uh, Andy Reed's coaching tree is great, and the waiting to the Super Bowl run, like if you, if you can get a great coach, you wait three extra weeks. I mean, it's not that big of a deal. Mm. Uh, but what do you guys make of this uh, this sort of thing coming out at this point? Uh, it's It feels like it's starting to feel like the Colin Kaepernick thing for me, where there's like a new excuse every couple of weeks and every time you, you know, you throw logic at it, it falls apart and then they just move the goalpost again. Like it was the fact that he wasn't calling plays. And then you point out that Matt Nagy didn't call plays. Doug Peterson didn't call plays. They got jobs. Right. A lot of head coaches don't call plays. <laughs> right. John Harbaugh, Jay, like, I like uh, a lot of these guys did Joe judge. They did not play. They did not call play. Like they were, they were special teams coordinators. Like there are so many different things you have to do as a head coach. Like whether or not you call plays is sort of neither here nor there. We see, I bet we've seen more guys who were great call players get, the head job, the CEO job and fail than the other way around. So, yeah. yeah. And then there's the, the, you know, the trouble with the law, but a lot of that stuff happened like 20 years ago. And we've seen many coaches get hired after that. It seems to be, it's only a thing when it's a black coach. And then now we're hearing this, this coaching tree stuff. And that's just ridiculous because we've seen Matt Nagy make the playoffs twice with Mitch Trubisky. We've seen Doug Peterson make it every year, except for this year. Ron Rivera has gone to a Super Bowl. Uh, I'm, John Harbaugh has won a John Super Harbaugh. Bowl. There's just so many people. Sean McDermott is part of the Reed coaching tree. If that coaching tree is bad, then what coaching tree is good? Right. It's much better <laughs> right, than Belichick's right. coaching tree. Much better. It's all just a bunch of crap. I mean, uh, like we just talked about the merits of the Reed coaching tree. Dude, John Harbaugh has a Super Bowl. Doug Peterson has a Super Bowl. Andy Reid has a Super Bowl, and it's like when you get another one, uh, like it is a chance that we could be talking about Eric Bieniemy with two straight Super Bowl rings as a major coach on one of the best offenses, offensive stretches we've, we've seen over the past few years, and he's just like not a real candidate. It's like okay, right? Uh, this just feels pretty there's, ridiculous. There's so much of an effort to make it seem like he's not like somehow that he didn't do much and that that just doesn't happen to white coaches. Like if a white coach had really been uh, so integral in building this offense, even if he's not calling plays, but like, uh, you know, Andy Reid never got over the hump until last year. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was a good prospect and was a good player, but he really has become the, 
Uh, I mean, I, I, I think all of us think that he has every chance to become the greatest quarterback of all time. Like that has happened. That has truly emerged over the last season and a half or whatever that we really realize that like Eric B is doing something to make the chiefs much better. Uh, we may not know the inner workings. It may not be playing calls, uh, calling plays, but he's, he's, an, he's a big part of that. And yeah, uh, and I mean, and, Andy and Reed has gone on the record multiple right. times the over the past two. Yeah, they've both gone on the record multiple times over the past two seasons, saying like, "Dude, EB is the guy that you got to hire if you are trying to get your thing turned around." And you know, like Doug Peterson and Matt Nagy were able to get jobs like it was nothing. So I don't, you know, I, I don't really see why we're going through this Reed tree excuse. And like, as much crap as you want to give Matt Nagy, like the dudes made the playoffs twice with Mitch Trubisky, and I know that this year. Has some help with that seven seed, but he still did it, uh, and that's not something to sneeze at. I mean, not not every team's going to be a, a Super Bowl champion. That's all right. Sometimes you just got to make the playoffs and uh, keep this thing moving year to year. But uh, yeah, like the, the excuses coming out about EB, like if we're comparing him to like the rest of the Reed coaching tree, this is someone that should have been hired last season. And it's not like the the McVay Shanahan guys were calling plays either, and they didn't have any trouble getting a job. And hasn't like Mike Kafka gotten some buzz as a head coach? Yeah, yeah. as a head coach. Yeah, <laughs> he works under Eric Bieniemy. Like that, Eric Bieniemy. Like his coaching tree, so to speak, is getting <laughs> head coaching and reason. He's not. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So weird. Uh, yeah. Other other news since since our last podcast, the Eagles went ahead and uh, parted ways with Doug Peterson. A little bit hard to really tell what happened there. It sounds like Peterson was tired of uh, being told who to hire. Uh, you know, there was a mess last offseason where they wanted him to hire an offensive coordinator. Instead, he hired like three part time like you know, partial coordinators and uh, it was very weird. And obviously just the situation was not great. Uh, Steven, you called that the worst opening in the NFL. Uh, and I completely agree with you, but if you want, if you want to rehash that argument quickly, uh, I mean, I don't think anything's changed. It just seems like it's everything about it is not appealing. Uh, yeah. Like the roster is bad and it's old. There's no quarterback. I mean, Jalen hurts has a chance, but he's not like a sure thing. And I'm not so sure that a new head coach is going to stick with him. The, uh, us three combined have more cap space than the Eagles do <laughs> by about $70 million. Uh, Howie Roseman has, seems to be a GM that doesn't get along with head coaches, and he wins power struggles when there is one. He's won two. He's outlasted two coaches. So I don't really know what the argument is for that job being not the worst. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. Uh, also, you have to live in Philly. Oh, oh. oh, hey, you know what? Let me say this. I, I've been to Philly many times, have many degenerate days in Philly. It's a it's not a bad place to, you know, go and get turned up for a weekend. I, I can't attest to living there, but uh, it's a it's a it's a city that's got some things to do in it. Uh, one of those things that uh, I didn't have to do with Philly that the next coach is going to be doing in Philly is a uh, deal with Harry Roseman and uh the fact that Howie Roseman is like on what his fourth head coach as a GM uh, is remarkable. Uh, I, I, I can't think of any GM that survived this like many coaching changes, but he, shout out to Howie Roseman for apparently being Jeffrey Lurie's best friend and then and keeping that job. But that seems like 
something that would be a really untenable situation. And when you see that the Eagles are like today, they're looking at Kellen Moore. Uh, and I think that they were also rumored for my, I think they're one of the teams that was rumored for my Kafka. It's like, okay, I, they I, are, I, yeah. I, I see what this is like. It, to me, it looks like how he's just kind of looking for some young yes man to come in and do what he says. And then right. Doug, and, and, and I mean, what Rappaport said, Doug Peterson was, tired of being told what to do and right just based on the fact that how he has been there for now what his third or fourth head coach then i think we, we can see where that one's coming from let me say this philly is not that bad once you get used to the smell <laughs> you know you know steven grew up in a place called king's contrivance so I'm, i did not grow up there not, that was the neighborhood i moved to like when i was a I'm teenager not, i'm not surprised you're not tough enough for philly i i get that i understand it it's a little intimidating uh, I grew up on the rough streets of Silver Spring, Maryland. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man! Uh, any anything else you guys want to say about the coaching stuff? I guess the Jets uh, really want Robert Sala, but that he's sort of he's, holding he's, to see what's happening. Yeah, he's uh he's flirting around still. Right. Uh, the guy. So I think he uh, he went to Florida to talk to the Eagles, and then. He's got another another meeting. I can't remember exactly what, but I the, the Jets. Uh, I'm pretty sure would like him to be the next head coach. Now, whether he is fully sold on that is something that has yet to be figured out. But uh, you know, I, I, I think we're the, like the Jets closing in on, on Robert Sale. Hopefully for them, uh, there's a lot of interest between the Falcons and Arthur Smith. Uh, right. And we already said the Jaguars and Urban Meyer is about to be a done deal, according to multiple reports. So. It's starting to come into view a little bit, but, you know, I, I think that with so many of these guys that are still on playoff teams right now, we're just going to have to see what happens. Like, like the enemy, he can't do a second interview right now. Dabble can't right now. Brandon Staley can't right now. So right. Uh, we're, we're just going to have to see what happens over the next few weeks. And then as the, the, the playoff tree kind of trims out a little bit, we'll get some more news probably, probably earlier or late next week. Okay, one last Philly joke. Oh, Salah went to Florida to talk to the Eagles. He didn't even, look. They, even the <laughs> Eagles don't want to operate out of Philly. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. I, but I will say this: if if I had billionaire money, you would not catch me north of the Mason Dixon line. <laughs> now the Eagles are like, yeah. If he comes to Philly, he's never going to take the job. He's going to smell it, and that's going to be the end. <laughs> Hold on, I'm going to mute Stephen real quick. <laughs> Uh, it's, this podcast just got so much better without Steven on it. There we go. Yeah. Great. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about games. Uh, okay. I'm going to let Steven back in because I'll, I'll forget to unmute him. Yeah. Um, thank you. We, we, I've uh, been silenced. <laughs> I, I cancel, cancel culture at work. I, I took away your First Amendment rights, Steven, even though I'm not the government. Um, uh, yeah, we're short on time today. We, uh, we, this, this week has been, it's been nuts. So, uh, we, we, yeah. have to, we're short on these, time, but, yeah. uh, what we're short on time for is basically an extension of this. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Uh, these guys are going to be playing Madden again, uh, on Twitch. Unfortunately it will be, you will have missed it by the time this podcast is actually produced and out, but you should, we're going to keep doing this. Right. So yeah, we put it on YouTube after also. So. Yeah. Also, it's on YouTube. They stay on Twitch. So after we have done them, if you want to go back and, and watch it, you can, because I don't think yeah. that anything else has been uploaded there. So it should be the only video on the page. Yeah. And I, I think, I, mean, some, I, I, think I, I really want people to be able to heckle you. And by people, uh, I mean yeah. me. 
<laughs> Wait, are you, we're going to do Ravens Bills, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah, of course. So who is taking the Bills? I guess I should take them because that's funny. Uh, I, I, think, <laughs> I think I have to be home, so I think I'm going to roll with the Bills. because oh, okay. Like, the All right. Lamar's a cheap cut. I'm going to say don't cheese with Lamar too much. <laughs> I'll like, try not to. <laughs> you're going to. I know you're going to. Uh all right, let's talk. Let's take these games in order. Let's just go uh, as they as they're coming. Uh, the the Rams Packers are uh, is the opening game, and uh, as I mentioned, Stephen has sort of looked into this one, and basically this, this is a little broad. It feels a little broad, uh, but he's saying that the Rams defense versus the Packers play action is the matchup to watch here. Uh, but uh, we're going to we'll publish a piece. It probably will come out tomorrow morning by the time we get get it out of here Friday morning. Um, but uh, a, a deeper look at this and what's really fascinating is the Matt LaFleur uh, sort of evolution. Uh, and what I, I I knew in the back of my head that LaFleur spanned the Shanahan McVay uh, like he that he had been influenced by both of them. Uh, uh, you know, everyone joked when he was hired, like, oh, he he met Sean McVay for a minute and that's why I got hired. But really, he's more of a Shanahan guy. Um, but both of them have come out in the offense this year as it has moved and changed. And Steven noticed something in the last, I guess it's been since week 10, you said. Uh, so like month and a half that the, the Packers are really doing something differently to make Aaron Rodgers super successful. Obviously, he's generally great, but he's been... I mean, he's probably won the MVP with his play in the second half of the season. So what do you see here, Stephen? And uh, what chance do the Rams have of slowing it down with a, a really a defense that we've been high on for a little bit now? So like the big key to Rogers assert, uh, resurgence and its emergence in the MVP race has been play action, basically. Like we've seen this for other lesser quarterbacks, mm-hmm. but you give, you know, you give that cheat code to Aaron Rodgers and then it's just unfair. And it's kind of evolved how the Packers have used play action, even going back to last year where they were using it in shotgun a little more. But now we've gotten to the point since week 10, and I don't know what happened. Like I was looking, was there an injury? What happened and what made them stop using two back sets? Because that's something they were doing a lot more often in the, I think it was like the first nine weeks of the season, they were using it 25% of the time. And since then, they're using it 2% of the time. And now they're using a lot of 11 and 12, which is what Sean McVay usually majors in. And the formations look the same. It's that condensed formation. There's stacks with the receivers close to the core of the formation. And then they're running those boot plays that we've seen, you know, a bunch of coaches run recently, like Stefanski, uh, Kubiak in Minnesota, obviously Shanahan in San Francisco. They're running that. They're running the hell out of that over the last month. And, the thing is, the Rams' defense, I feel like, is was designed to take away those plays, like to take away those intermediate crossing routes. That that's the play, that's the route you're trying to target when you call those plays. And the Rams have only given up, I think, one of those throws all season long, and that was back in Week Two against the Eagles. So I think this is a perfect matchup for them because not only because their defense is set up to stop this, but they see this offense every day in practice. So I think. Staley having a relationship with Sean McVay can go over to him and be like, hey, what should I be looking at to stop these plays? I think that gives them a schematic advantage. I don't know if that's going to make up for the difference in talent, but I do think the Rams have a good shot at winning this. Uh, Tell me, I know that you watched a little bit of film of 
Devonte Adams and Jalen Ramsey, and they didn't really. I mean, they've never really played each other. I learned nothing. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's uh, how much will we see that matchup? I mean, and the Rams don't. They generally don't lock him on another guy, right? Like they they tend to move him around a little bit. Or or do you think it will be uh, that matchup most of the day? I think it's game plan specific and. I don't know. It's hard to speculate. I think when the Ram, when the Packers are, there's like two different Packers offenses. There's them under center, which looks like the Ram stuff. And there's them when they go into shotgun, that's when they run RPO. And that's when they get into like their quick game. They don't run play action from shotgun and they don't run drop back from, from under center. It's that's like what the Rams do. So I think when they go into shotgun, maybe you'll see Ramsey move into the slot and move around with Adams. But I think when they're in their base offense, you're going to see Ramsey line up on his side of the field and they're going to play more zone. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how important it will be uh, uh, that matchup in particular. Uh, This, this game green Bay is a six and a half point favorite. Uh, You know, a lot of that is probably still because so John Wolford is officially out and golf is going to start. I haven't seen much out of practice, which you, you would expect for things to be pretty guarded this time of year, but I don't know how comfortable golf is compared to last week. He obviously was nowhere near his usual self coming off that um, thumb surgery. So it seems like that, that, you know, that really will be a factor in what the Rams can do. What are you guys thinking? What's, what's your gut feeling on how this game's going to go? I'm going Rams straight up. Wow. <laughs> yep. I'm thinking the Rams straight up. As long as Goff isn't too bothered by the thumb, I think the Rams win this. And I honestly, I, I think they're just the better team. I don't even think it's like an upset to me. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Charles is shocked. Should I mute Steven again? <laughs> uh, go ahead. Yes. Uh, no, I'm joking. Uh, I, I think the Packers are going to win, but I am taking the Rams to cover. I just think that mm-hmm. like this game has just under, like if you, I don't know what the under is, but like that's what I would be hammering. Uh, if I was, if I had to like put one bet on this game, I agree uh, with that. It's, it's 45, I, I, 45 and a half. Yeah. I, I, I still feel fairly good about the game. I mean, the Packers, I, I just think that they're going to have a hard time scoring uh, if Aaron Donald's healthy and Jalen Ramsey's uh, healthy. You know, I saw someone tweet this the other day, which I thought was an interesting question. Do the Rams have the two best defensive players in football? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think absolutely. Yeah, and uh, you know you have those two guys going against the Packers uh, offense, and like that can just drive so much for you. Uh, a defense with Aaron Donald, Jalen Ramsey, uh, and then on the flip side, like if the Rams want to mash the ball, like and just run it, like that's up there for them. I just think at the end of the day, the Packers make one more play uh, that the Rams don't, and they like squeak by with the win. Yeah, so for me, this is like a styles make fights kind of matchup, and I just think on both sides of the ball, they just match up so well with what the Packers do. Like, mm-hmm. I think McVay's going to give a call to Kyle and talk to him about that Packers defense, and I wouldn't be surprised if they run all over Green Bay. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I'd be interested if the Rams win because we talked so much when the Rams went for it with Ramsey. Uh, we we dug into that and like, oh, you know, this team building method is is maybe not the best, you know, they, they are giving up a lot and spending a lot on key players. Uh, just wonder how it's going to go when one of the guys are paying so much as Jared Goff. Uh, but if it works, if it gets them a little bit further, it'll be interesting to, to think about that uh, with that new information. Uh, 
Ravens Bills. Charles, you had the uh, the thought on this one, and uh, the, the you looked into it, and you went with the Bills wide receivers and the Ravens cornerbacks. And I mean, this is just like sometimes the obvious is just it, right? Like, and this is just good players going against good players. Yeah, uh, I just think that this is kind of where the the game is going to be won. I mean, because I, I don't I don't have a lot of faith in the Bills being able to stop the Ravens rushing attack. So I think that this matchup for them is really going to be key because you have it, it's just like such a stylistically just a perfect matchup. I feel like for like if you're just a fan of football, because you have the Ravens and their blitz heavy defense and they're going to play a lot of man coverage and right. uh, they have the cornerbacks to hold up with that <laughs> with uh, Marlon Humphrey and Marcus Peters and those guys like they absolutely are good enough to run that scheme. And then on the flip side, you have the Bills wide receivers and their thing is like being able to get separation and get open and uh, creating bigger windows for Josh Allen to go through like that. Stefan Diggs versus Marlon Humphrey or Marcus Peters. However, that game kind of unfolds. It's just going to be, I mean, it's going to be like football porn. If you're someone that's into uh, like strength on strength matchups. And I, I just think like whoever gets the best of this, probably ends up winning uh, the game because like if, if, if Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen can find ways to like get open and create those explosive plays downfield, like that's kind of the bills Avenue success uh, every week. And if the Ravens are going to, I guess, mainly stay with a ground attack, that might be a little bit harder for them to keep up, but uh, it's just kind of cool to see elite talent going on elite talent. And uh I think that this is where this game is going to end up being won. Uh, the Ravens, they were third. According to SIS, they were third uh, in terms of cover zero and cover one uh, snaps this year. So, you know, that's how they like to live and die. They're going to man you up. They're going to blitz the hell out of you. And it's kind of up to your guys to make plays. But the Bills have the playmakers to make that happen. So it's just kind of a coin flip for me. I don't really feel strong either way about how that's going to turn out. But I'm excited to watch it unfold. Yeah, I think uh, I think if the if the Bills do win that matchup, the receiver matchup, then the game is going to look a lot like the Chiefs game from earlier this year, where the Ravens could move the ball and they could run on the Chiefs, but the Chiefs were scoring at will, and it's hard to keep up with the team with the running game if the other team's just throwing it all over the field. Uh, Buffalo is a two and a half point favorite. There was some talk earlier in the week that it might be snowing on Saturday night. And apparently Lamar Jackson has never played in snow, which is a, a funny little factoid. Uh, now it looks like it's just going to be light snow. Doesn't seem like it'll be a factor. What, which way are you guys leaning at this point? <sighs> it's tough. I like I, 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 I keep going back and forth, but I think I'm just going to run with the Ravens. Uh you know, I guess if, if I'm taking the cover of that two and a half point spread, I might as well just pick them to win too, right? So, uh, I'll I'll go with the Ravens to cover and to win. I just think Lamar Jackson ends up making enough plays in the Ravens defense, like just holds on enough on some of these extended plays that Josh Allen and uh, Diggs are going to try to make. Yeah, uh, I don't know who to pick either, uh, but I do have faith in Wink Martindale coming up with a blitz plan to. St- to kind of corral Josh Allen a little bit. A lot of the plays he's been making have been outside the pocket. I think if, if he can figure out a way to keep him in the pocket and still put pressure on him, I think the Ravens have a very good chance. Uh, with that said, I think I'm still going to take Buffalo. I don't. They just have so much talent on offense. I just don't know how you stop it. 
Uh, Browns Chiefs is the first Sunday game. And Charles, we, we talked a little bit about this in our Monday podcast, uh, that if the Browns can, can really run the ball well, that's probably their best chance. And Charles wrote a, a piece sort of expanding on that earlier in the week. You should find that over at For the Win, ftw.usatoday.com. Uh, but now for looking forward, we're going to talk about the Browns offensive line versus the Chiefs defensive line. And this one's fascinating to me because uh, we know that the Chiefs defensive line is not very good at stopping the run. And the Browns offensive line, it's been pretty good and, and is getting Joel Batonio back uh, and did some really nice things in the wild card round. So what are you seeing here, Charles? How does, how does this matchup unfold in your mind? Well, I mean, you just go back to what – the uh, the Browns were able to kind of do on the ground versus Pittsburgh, especially early in the game where they were just mowing over dudes. Uh, basically, any type of run that they want to call, they could get done at a high level. Whether it's uh, you know, like they're known for those outside zone plays, but they were running duo, they were running power, they were running counter, like basically anything you can think of that they were just running at at will, really. In uh, the Pittsburgh, it, it's not like they they weren't like one of the elite, elite run defenses this year. Uh, but according to EPA, I think they were top 13. So, you know, that's still an above average unit. And the Chiefs are like not anything close to that. Uh, and I'd say all of this with the caveat, like the Chiefs should be expected to win this game. Like this is just an avenue for the Browns to keep it competitive more than anything, because, I just don't really see how the Browns defense is going to stop the Chiefs other than just like not letting the Chiefs get the ball. And that's where uh, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt and the Browns offensive line come into play. And it it's really, a, in, in my opinion, like outside of Chris Jones, like there's a severe talent advantage for what the Browns are about to put out there. Because I think Joel Batonio is going to be back this week. Uh, at left guard, you got J.C. Treader at center, Wyatt Teller at right guard. And, like, if you want to watch some offensive linemen just go berserk, like, put on that tape from last week. And he's, like, uh, whenever they pull him, he is absolutely pancaking some Pittsburgh defender. And now they get a weaker unit than that. Uh, like, Frank Clark, he hasn't been anywhere near what they signed to be. Like, he's been not one of the, uh, I guess, worst performing defensive ends in football this year. And, and now you get a matchup against one of the toughest offensive line running games to defend. I, I think that this is like an avenue for the Browns to give themselves a chance, like to, to, to give themselves a miracle or, or a prayer, I guess, uh, because if, if they can't run the ball, then this is probably going to be something that's going to be over by like halfway through the third quarter. Yeah, if that. Uh, yeah, I mean, all all that being said, Kansas City's a 10-point favorite, and uh, if the Chiefs manage to get Baker Mayfield in, like, third and seven, five times in the first half, he's probably going to throw three pick sixes and <laughs> but uh but yeah sure uh what do you how do you guys think this will actually unfold i mean i i am excited though in all seriousness to see uh to watch this closely the things that you pointed out and showed on on film this week but but what do you guys think will actually happen we're we're huge on the chiefs and have been for a long time so i think i know what you're gonna say but go uh ahead. chiefs yeah, I think they covered it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's messed up because like I feel like I'm giving Browns fans false hope, but I don't think they're going to win this game. I just think that they have a, <laughs> they, they have an avenue to keep it close. Right. And that's that's what we're working with. Yeah, I agree with that. If they can't run, I I just don't see it happening. I will I'm going to point out that 
last year when Stefanski went up against Spagnola, the Vikings uh, run game was actually pretty bad. It was minus 2.7 EPA yeah. per run. I just looked that up, but Kirk Cousins had a decent game. But I'll also point out that like Miles Garrett hasn't been the same since coming back from COVID, and I think that's the biggest factor. If they can't get a pass rush with four, that zone defense is going to get picked apart. Yeah, And uh, another, another thing is that Olivia, Olivier Vernon got hurt, I think it was week 17, and that's kind of had a domino effect because they've had to move uh, Miles Garrett over to the left side, and he's been much better rushing from the right side this year based on the splits. And they've had to do that because Adrian Claiborne can only really rush from the right because he has an arm that doesn't really allow him to, to rush from the left side. Yeah. Uh, also, Steven, the uh, Panthers just hired their general manager. Who is it? Uh, they, Marty Kearney? Scott, Fitterer. <laughs> Scott I have Fitterer, I guess, who was, uh, he was the vice president of football operations for the Seahawks before this. Oh, I don't know there how to go. feel about that. I think I like it. Let's trade for a safety. <laughs> Let's trade for a safety that, that can't cover. All right, there we go. <laughs> Uh, so we have one more game to talk about, right? One more, one more, and then you guys got to go play. Uh, Bucks Saints. This is the uh, closeout game here. New Orleans is a three-point favorite, and um, I'm looking at my notes here. Basically, Stephen, you are isolating Bulls versus Sean Payton. Uh, so basically, what the how the Bucks defense will try to slow down that Saints offense that is you know, finally all back together and, and seems to be somewhat running on, on the way it's supposed to breeze breeze is not anywhere close to what he was, but what do you see here? Yeah, I'll try to be quick. Like the reason why this bucks defense hasn't been able to figure out Sean Payton, the, the saints are averaging 34 points over the four matchups. And it hasn't been like a fluke. It's been 31, 34, 34, 38. They're scoring at will against the bucks. And I think it's just a bad matchup for the bucks because they play base defense, against the Saints when they come out in two tight ends or two running backs. And then the Sa- Sean Payton, he'll just spread you out, find a, a matchup, and just attack it all all game long. But if you're the Bucks, what do you do? You go in a nickel, then they're just going to run it down your throat. The Saint- Sean Payton will happily run all day. They have Alvin Kamara. They can bring in Taysom Hill. So there's really no option other than like totally overhauling your defensive front. And I don't know if Todd Bowles is going to be able to do that in a week. So I think this is, <laughs> this is just a bad matchup. And then you look on the other side of the ball, the Saints have a deep secondary. They have a scheme where they take away the deep shot. They play so much too high. I just don't see an avenue for the Bucks to win. Even if like on paper, they might be the more talented team. I just think stylistically, this is a mismatch for the Saints. And we've seen that play out in the two games. Charles, how do you feel about this game? What's what's your feeling? <laughs> New Orleans, uh, three-point favorite. The universe aligns against me, and I want this thing with Terry Fonnant to be done. <laughs> so I'm guessing that the Saints are going to win, so I have to wait another week <laughs> for the Falcons to get their crap together. So I'm going to roll with the Saints. And also, I just think they're the better team. Steven, same? Yeah, Saints. Uh, what's the line? Three, three and a half. Oh, yeah, yeah Saints, Saints are covering that. Yeah. Uh, all right. That's all we got time for today. Uh, join us again on Monday and we'll be around on Twitter all weekend and over at for the win. Uh, Charles is at Forvert. Steven's at the Steven Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. We'd love to talk to you there. It's such friendly banter over on Twitter uh, and read our posts on for the win. We'll be providing analysis of the games. They come and then Monday will 
wrap it all up and and give our thoughts on how these games actually played out and update any news that's coming in the NFL. How do you guys want to close it out? You want to trash talk each other? Eh, I beat him uh, so bad there's nothing left for him. Yeah, I was, was going to say, Charles, Charles can't even find he can't even find the reason to. I'm going to get my revenge this time. I promise. Oh, but, oh. but I'm going to trash talk by saying the Panthers GM who I've never heard of is better than the the Falcons GM who I I had never heard of before, like an hour ago. <laughs> uh, yeah. So if you want to watch the stream on Twitch, it's uh twitch.tv slash uh, FTWUSA today. That's uh, where it will be if you're listening to this after we stream. You can find it up there and the stream we did before. If you're watching the stream that we did last week, you probably just want to fast forward to like 20 minutes and we actually <laughs> figured out how to get the stream going because I think like the first 18 minutes is blue screen and there's another two minutes of me complaining on the phone with my roommate about how to get to work. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to... I'm going to go cut out Steven promising. You just promising your revenge was like, it was like the kindest, nicest. Uh, it's, it's like, haven't you ever watched Ray Lewis before a game, man? You got to like... Should be shouting at something. I'm gonna murder Charles on Twitch. <laughs> Please do not do any murdering, man. Football uh, schematically. schematically. <laughs> with with my cover three. Uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. Uh, this has been the counter. We will talk to you next time. Take care. The counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports.